The following audio is from Heritage Christian Fellowship. More information about Heritage Christian Fellowship is available at heritagefellowship.net. Good morning, guys. How's everybody doing this morning? Man, we could use a few more of you guys in the 8.30 service. Those guys were snoozers. Can I just say that out loud? Um, None of my jokes worked. It was like flat. It was really... um, I shouldn't say that because I actually want some of you guys to show up. So let me point out some of the great features of our new 8.30 a.m. service. The donuts are fresher. The coffee is hotter. Um, You get out a little bit early. Um, There's more seating available, all those things. So um, just wanted to let you guys know if if you're here and you feel a little too crowded or any of that kind of stuff, we are now two services as of today. So 8.30 and 10.30, but welcome all of you. I guess you guys are not the football crowd. That's my guess on some of this, or your team doesn't play till one and you're good, right? Awesome. Awesome. Well, it's good to have you guys with us this morning. Do me a favor, turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter four. If you don't have a Bible, just stick your hand up nice and high, wave your hand around, and uh, we will uh, make sure that you get one. If you don't own a Bible, that is a gift to you. And we pray that the Lord would use that to teach you more and more about who he is and and his goodness and his grace and his plan for your life. Um, I have a few uh, uh, announcements, almost said commercials. (laughs) I have a few announcements for you guys really quickly this morning. Um, um, Oh, here's one of the best parts about the early service as compared to this one. To get you guys in, I have to be done at 10. Right now, I have nothing else to do the rest of the day. (laughs) You know what I mean? So if you're in a hurry, you might want to come early. Just saying. We might be here a while. I thought up some new stuff while I was teaching the early sermon. Um, But no, um, we do have now a couple of new things that are launching with us today as well. Um, You may have noticed when you came in, coffee, donuts, encourage you guys, man, come early, mingle, hang out. We still want, we don't want to break fellowship by going to two services. We're just trying to make bigger feel smaller, um, but we want to still have fellowship. And, and I know you guys still love some of the people at the 830 service as well. So um, feel free to come early, have some coffee and donuts and all that stuff. But also, if you notice, as you're coming into the sanctuary, coffee and donuts are over here. On this side of the sanctuary, we now have a prayer room that's now open um, and is set up in there. And we'll have shepherding elders there available before and after services. I just want to encourage you guys to take advantage of that. Um, To just go in, take a minute to pop in, receive prayer for things that might be going on in your life or decisions that are coming up, whatever the case may be. Um, Just encourage you guys to take advantage of that. Um, Those guys and their wives are excited to be able to to serve and minister to you guys in that way. So that's available before and after service. You'll see the sign right out there in the hallway. Also, we have a new Connect team here at Heritage. And the goal is, is we, we feel like for a long time, people have come, we're in this big vacuous room, the curtain was gone, we were like way back there. And it was just so easy for people to just sort of slip through the cracks to just kind of anonymously come in and drift right back out and no one know. And so a lot of the things that we're doing are about trying to grab those people and actually um, help them feel welcome, connected, and at home. So the Connect team out there, as you'll see when you come in, is there to just to help you guys. If you have questions, if you need to know where a room is, or basically anything that you need, ask them. They will take care of it. If they don't know, they'll help you find whatever that is you need. Um, trip signups, all that kind of stuff is available over there. So I encourage you guys to go by and say hi. They're super friendly people. Um, and then also, um, for those of you especially that have been tracking with this for a little while, or those of you that are new, you know, Jason and Jesse Licato have been leading up this uh, Rogue Valley mobile pack. Um, it's part of Feed My Starving Children, where they're packaging up these meals that are going over to these children in, in uh, um, malnourished, uh, what would you say? 
Um, I don't know, places where there's, you know, other, other places where they're starving. Jason, I don't, if you're here, I don't even know where that's going. If you know, that, I should know that um, so I can say that. But anyway, um, they are now at the point where the packing day is coming up on November 19th to put all this stuff together that's been coming in. So you can sign up now at rvmobilepack.com, rvmobilepack.com. You can go sign up now. Um, and also, they have received now uh, $17,400 out of the $22,000 goal to make this whole thing happen, which is really, really cool to see how far that's come. Um, and so if you are just now learning about it, you want to volunteer, or if you'd like to give, you can make donations through Heritage. Just put Rogue Valley Mobile Pack in the memo line, and we'll take care of that. Um, but that's all coming to a head here really, really soon. So uh, you can stop by the Connect team and ask them if you have more questions about that, and they would be happy to help you. And then the last thing is this. Um, we're going to be doing this now once a month after each service. We're going to be doing, we're just calling it Pastor's Coffee. And um, what it is is an opportunity um, for me and the other pastors and the other staff here at the church or elders um, to go over into the coffee shop there and be able to meet with you guys and get to know some of the new people. Maybe you've been coming even for a while and we've never had a chance to shake hands and meet. Um, but we just really want to be able to get to know you guys. It's kind of cool. Like being in this room, like I see you now. I know that sounds weird, but like when there were so many people in just one room, now it's like, oh, I can see, oh, there's so-and-so and there's that. And, and there's a lot of faces that we just don't know or recognize. And so we would love to do that. So once a month, we're going to meet in there. We'll briefly tell you about our church, what we're about, and then how to plug in, how to connect, how to kind of take that next step um, if you should decide to make Heritage your home. So that'll be coming up next Sunday. So that's enough of the announcements for now. If you would, I'd like it if we could turn to Philippians chapter 4. And this morning we're going to be focusing primarily on verse 9. But as you guys know, we're all about context here. Amen? So what I'd like you to do, turn to Philippians chapter 4. We're going to read verses 5 through 9. And I'd love it if you would join me in standing in honor of God's word as we read it this morning. Actually, we'll start in verse 4. Philippians 4, 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Two people. Two people. We'll have to teach that again. Let's pray. Father, we are bowed before your word. I pray, Lord, that our outward position as our heads are bowed before you would, would reflect what's going on inside. That we would humble ourselves before our king. That we would understand, Lord, that what we hold in our hands is not merely some book. But this is the word of God given to us. That we might understand not just your authority and your sovereignty, but your goodness 
and your grace and your will for our lives. So God, I pray that anything that would intercept or block the word from the fertile soil of our soul would be taken away. I pray, Lord, if there's sin, if there's circumstances, if there's temptations, if there's worries, if there's fears, that nothing that Satan could throw at us could prevent, Lord, your word from sinking in and producing its will in our lives. I pray, God, you would guide your people, teach your people, produce fruit through your people, and that you would be glorified above all things in our lives as you are in heaven. So Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O oh, my rock, my king, my redeemer. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. amen. You may be seated. Philippians chapter 4. We're going to be focusing on verse 9, but we're going to kind of start really in verse 8 as we move forward because of the context. It's really a continuation of last week's thought. And as you know, we've been in Philippians for a little while now, but we seem to have dramatically slowed down as we've gotten into chapter 4, right? Um, that's because these are significant truths in the Word. Like, Almost every word you read going into Philippians 4 right here could be a sermon in and of itself, especially the items detailed in verse 8. There are so many things that we could study and look at for so, so long. Um, we don't have the time to pick it apart quite that much, but we do want to pause and really understand the thrust of what Paul's talking about. And, and what's going on here is Paul has written a letter to a church he planted years earlier, and he wrote it from prison. And he knows that hard times are coming. In fact, in some cases, they're already there. They're facing all sorts of persecution, opposition, mockery. But, but in the future, he knows it's going to get even worse. I mean, again, he's in prison for these beliefs, as he writes. And he knows that things are coming. And he knows the temptation when hard times come, when difficult times come, when opposition comes, to dive and be consumed in fear and anxiety. And he wants good for his people. He desperately, you can read in chapter 1, he's like gushing over this church. He loves them dearly. And he wants to not see them, not even just see them exist through hard times, certainly not be buried by hard times. He wants to see them thrive and do well and experience everything that God has for them in spite of anything that might go on around them. And so he's writing to these people. And the thrust of this is the idea of fear, anxiety, difficulty, and the peace of God, the joy, no matter what, that is available to all of us. And so last week, we, we looked primarily at verse 8, and we were talking about this idea of thought, that Christianity is a thinking religion, and that what we think matters, what we focus on matters. And, and we used Alistair Begg's phrase, I can't do the Scottish accent still, it sounds so much better if I could. But he says this, he says, you're not who you think you are, but how you think you are. So hear that with the pauses, understand the, the, the inflection here. He's saying, you're not who you think you are, but how you think, comma, you are. The things we think about, the things we consume, the things we focus on will determine to a huge degree who we are, how we are. It's been said this way that, that the actual thoughts that we have um, are given, or excuse me, our actions are testimony of the things that we think. 
Like the actions, the decisions, the stuff we do in life give testimony of what's going on inside the inner man. And Paul, knowing what's coming, we talked about this idea last week of rooting into truth, rooting into, kind of grooving yourself into the things of the Lord. And it's the idea is, is think of a record player, the needle is there and, and the design there to produce the music that's on that record. Records. I, this is a terrible example, isn't it? Everyone under 30 right now is going, huh? Records? Like Guinness Book? <clears throat> no, so, well, I'm going to do it anyway. Mo- Mom and dad explain it to the kids later. Records, that needle is designed to go in that groove, and, the produ- and if it goes in any other direction, it's not going to produce what it's designed to produce. It's to groove into a certain track to produce what it is. And in the same way, Paul wants us to groove ourselves into the things of the kingdom of God because God is leading us somewhere. And there's a difference between being grooved in towards something and stuck in a rut that goes nowhere. And that's what Paul wants them to avoid. He knows fear and anxiety will cripple them. When those things come, they'll be stuck unless they are rooted and grooved in to the Lord. There's a a sign that I heard about. I tried to find an image of it. I don't know if it's true or not, but the truth definitely applies. That up in northern Canada... As the winter comes in, roads up there get pretty rough. Some of you guys have watched shows like Ice Road Truckers and all that kind of stuff, so you know what I'm talking about. But apparently in this one area, there's a system of roads that they can't get plows or anything in there. And so the roads stay open as long as they can, but the roads are actually just two ruts, one for each wheel. And there's a sign at the beginning of the road, and it says this, take care which rut you choose, you will be in it for 25 miles. There's nowhere else to go. You're not getting your wheels back out of those ruts. Once you're in it, you're there, and you'll go where it takes you. Well, what Paul's saying is, hey, be careful what rut you choose. You can groove yourself into the things of the kingdom that lead to peace, that lead to freedom, that lead to joy, no matter what's going on, or you can lead yourself into an absolute rut that you feel like you can't get out of. And there are so many that have been buried by so many different circumstances in life. And Paul loves you, loves us. God loves us. And he's calling us to something different. And so he's calling us to to take care of what we look at. Take care of what we focus on. The idea in verse 8 as it closes where he says, think about these things, means literally bring all your faculties to bear on these things. Now, we talked about Christian thinking last week, right? Christian thinking doesn't mean we only think about Christian things. No, Christian thinking means we think about all things through the lens of Christianity. So we understand the gospel, we know the truth of God's word, and so we look at all things around us, and that's the filter by which we interpret everything that goes on in the world around us through the truth of God's word. And so what I want to do before we go forward into verse 10 is just take a few minutes here to go through this list. Because in verse 8, he gives us this list of virtues, which is, is actually strikingly similar to all of the Greek virtues that would have been taught in uh, philosophy and in all the writings at that time. He's pulling things that culturally they would be very aware of and very familiar with. But what he's doing is he's showing, hey, even these common graces that are in the world out here around you, these good things, they have a source. They're not just random goodness, that there's an actual source. And what it's trying to do is lead you to the the purpose, or excuse me, to that source, not just the goodness in and of itself. A, a way that could be explained is this. Today, a lot of people, early service people right now might be watching football games. 
And they might watch their favorite athlete run downfield, score a touchdown, hands in the air. They might see some of the most amazing plays that none of you Oregon Duck fans saw yesterday. They might see like some amazing stuff, right? But most of the world stops with that. And they go, man, look how good that player is. Look how amazing that athlete is. Look how good that team is. But, but as a Christian, when we learn to worship, when we learn to understand and recognize what God's doing in the world, it should lead us past that to go, it, it's the Lord that gave a guy that kind of ability. It's the Lord that gave men and women the brains and technology to put together even the ability that a game could happen a thousand miles away and somehow we're watching it on a box in our home. It's a miracle. Like there are graces behind that. And so Paul is showing them that, look, even these common graces that you see in the world around you, there's a source to them. And I want you to understand the reality of it. And I want you to let those things groove you in towards the Lord and to the kingdom of God. So this is what Paul's doing. It'd be very familiar to them, these particular things. And so he, he points out these things. And again, it's not like a detailed list, like these are the eight things. That's not what it means. He's sort of, um, uh, remember, it's a letter. And so he's going, guys, look, things that are lovely, pure, good. Like he, he's trying to get something across, an idea, a system, like a, a frame of reference for our minds as we look. So what I want to do is just for a moment go through each one of these and get some sort of idea what he's talking about. And then show that he leads even further than, than that into the next verse. So if you take a look at verse 8. In verse 8, Paul says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is true, think on these things. Whatever is true, let that be what your mind dwells upon. Let that be what your focus is. Let that be what, if you will, you're chewing on, so to speak. The idea there's consistent with truth or reality. And now it means much more than just what's true. It doesn't just mean, well, two plus two is four. Is that true? Yes, let's dwell on that. No, it's much, much more than that. Paul's leading them beyond just truth in general, but to the truth. Jesus Christ was the one who said what? I am the way, the truth, and the life. This is, this is all about Paul bringing everything around that even behind truth, even behind order in the galaxy, even behind all of these things, everything is coming to rest on the gospel and specifically on the person of Jesus Christ. So he's leading them to this. And he says, okay, church, Hard times are coming. I want to groove you in towards peace so that when hard times come, you're not knocked left or right, that you're grooved in toward a specific destination. And the first thing I want you to understand in this is I want you to, whatever is true, think on these things. We have the truth. You realize this book in your hand, it's not just a, it's not just a history book. It's not legend. It's not mythology. It's not good advice. Every once in a while, it is good for us to stop for just a minute and recognize the absolute miracle gift that you hold in your hands, the very word of the creator of heaven and earth. God spoke this. This is truth. This is real. This is something that we can bank on. And what Paul wants us to do is be people of the book. Because when hard times come, we have options. We used the example last week, divorce. So when your marriage is on the rocks, maybe your marriage is a source of anxiety or fear or difficulty or tension. Well, voices come, don't they? 
It's amazing to me how many times a marriage that's in difficulty or someone, especially when separation occurs and those things, it is unbelievable how easy and fast and common it is that the person who is separated or going through that tension, it's like your divorced friends just come out of the woodwork. And you hear every, every, oh, I've been there. I went through that. I'm so much happier now. Or you can hear the lies of the enemy that are saying, you know what, you were too young when you got married in the first place. It's just not a right fit. It's okay. Start over. They're never going to change. It's always going to be like this. You'll be miserable forever. And we believe that in those moments. Like, I'm just going to be stuck. Nothing's ever going to change. And if I could just hop out into another rut. (laughs) You could believe that. Or you could believe the truth. This is no, God's doing something even in the stress, even in the anxiety, even in the tension, even in the difficulty. And God calls you to stay here, not because he wants you to be miserable forever, but because he's doing something. He wants you to trust him. He wants you to worship him more than marriage. He wants you to want him more than happiness. He wants you to know that no matter what's going on, he's leading you somewhere that in the end will be peace, joy, and standing face to face before Jesus in heaven. And so we have options there. Are there other ones? I mean, maybe that one's a little more distant for you. I mean, divorce, that's the big D word in the church. Let's use something maybe a little bit more common. Let's say you are reading Facebook and you see a comment by a friend that you know is talking about you and it's not good. Like you just know it, right? They didn't tell me. I invited them to dinner last night and they said they had plans. But look, I see pictures of them at such and such or whatever. And so what can our default be? Oh, anger, emoticons. No, emojis. What is it? Whatever. All that. I'm still talking about records, people. So I mean, what do you want? What's our default when those kind of things come our way? Because the truth of the scripture says that a friend loves at all times. The truths of scripture say, believe the best in others. The truths of scripture say, hey, Jeff, consider others better than yourselves. And you go, but it's not fair. Well, let's not talk about fairness. Let's talk about the fact that maybe God is doing something in you, even through this particular tension. And you have an opportunity to listen to the truth of scripture that is grooving you towards peace, joy, or you can buy the lies of the enemy that leads towards division, heartache, and pain. We have a choice. But here's the problem. We all know that now, right? Like we all know that's truth. We all know that we're supposed to believe the best in others. We all believe all those kind of things. It's when that thing happens that we don't know it. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't even cross our mind in those moments sometimes. And this is where Paul's going, look, hardship's coming. I want you to be grooved into something so that when those hard times come, you won't get rocked off the foundation you're built on. I want you to be prepared now for the hard time to come. I want you to be able to react with grace now so that when the hard time comes, it's just, it's just part of your habit almost. And so he calls us to base ourselves on the truth. We have to be people of the book, which means we have to read it, church, on Mondays and Thursdays. Or maybe even harder, Saturdays. But he's saying, hey, this truth, think on these things. Bring all your faculty to bear on these things. Be people of the book. Amen? That's a little better amen than the 830 service, but we'll see. It's our first week. The next one he says is honorable. Whatever is honorable. It means worthy of respect. It means majestic, 
awe-inspiring. Maybe a better way of saying it is, it's the opposite of the gutter. That we're to be people who focus, who our attention, the thing that dominates our attention and dominates our thought processes, that we bring our, all of our faculties to bear on, that we're people of honor who should think about honorable things. We're not people of the gutter. We are to train ourselves to allow our focus on these sorts of thoughts. It also denotes a certain degree of seriousness, like life is real and it's serious and that, that we are people of honor. Now, the Puritans understood this and they got this totally, totally, took it, took it way, way, way too far, as people have the tendency to do. So the, the Puritans felt, that's right, honor, seriousness, nobility. And so what they would do is if you look up old pictures of Puritans and things like that, in many of the photos and things that you'll see, no smiles, like seriousness. And so the, the idea here is we are people of nobility, we are serious, we don't have time for these stupid, silly things in the world around here. We're people of the book and we're serious. Well, okay, but if you are people of the book who are reading the word, you understand the balance in so many of these things because you get to a story, for example, Nehemiah. Nehemiah in the Old Testament is in a situation that is serious. He's doing a work that is serious. He's in a place with serious threats and serious persecution and all sorts of issues going around throughout that whole story. People are being brought to tears. There's persecution. There's all these things. And yet, it's from Nehemiah that we get the famous word. Well, he says this, hey, go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready for this day is holy to our Lord and do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is our strength. There's a nobility even in the joy that's different than the gutter. And, and we know what it is, you know? Like we know a noble joy, an honorable joy, or a gutter laugh. And he says, hey, set your mind up. Set your eyes ahead, ahead, above. Let's try that. We do not bow our minds to foolishness and baseness. And then he says, whatever is just. Just is in conformity with justice, law, or morality. It's whatever is morally pure and undefiled. It's what chooses what is right and good against that which is convenient or which uh, uh, fills sort of a, an instant gratification. It's the thing that looks at a situation and chooses what is just, not what is instantly beneficial or desirable in that particular moment. And that's a hard one too. You've got to be rooted in. You've got to have vision for where the Lord's taking you, for what God is promising you. If you don't have that, then why wouldn't you choose just what's gratifying to you in the moment? The problem is, we don't understand where those kind of decisions can lead us if we don't understand and are standing on the truth of God's word. I mean, who's one of the most famous characters in the whole Bible is David. Temptation came David's way. He was just standing on a roof, saw a woman, and gave in to some, oh, it's harmless lust. I'm on a roof, she's way down there, it's fine. But where does that lead him? He ends up a murderer because of that. That rut led him something, somewhere way further than he could have ever imagined he would end up because he gave in in that particular moment. Maybe he had actually learned his lesson. I don't know the timing, I don't know. I tried to find out, I was really hoping he wrote this after that. Maybe he did, I don't know. But in Psalm 119.11, he wrote this. I have stored your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. 
I have stored your word, your truth, your understanding of what is good and just and right in my heart. So when that temptation comes, I know which road to take. I am rooted, I am grooved towards what is right and just, not able to be knocked off track and led off into that sort of debauchery. And we see the the opposite of that, if you will, in Joseph. Because when Potiphar's wife came, same type of temptation, Coming his way, what was his response? How can I do this and sin against the Lord? Because he was grooved, he was rooted, he was rutted towards what God had in place for him. David knows how easy this is to neglect. He knows the consequences when we do. So Paul says, hey, what is just? Bring all your faculties to bear on what is just. Next he says, whatever is pure. The idea here is what is morally pure. What is holy? What is clean? Uh, James 1.27 says it this way. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. To visit the orphan and widow in their time of trouble and to keep oneself unstained or unspotted in the world. So the idea is this. We are cleaned by the blood of Jesus Christ, but the stuff of this world can stain us. And Paul's saying, listen, Bring all your faculties to bear on what is just, what is pure, and what is holy. Because if you're taking all this time to focus on these things that are unholy, they will stain you. It will affect you. You cannot live a holy, pure life that is pursuing what God has for you with that kind of joy in your marriage, with that kind of joy in your relationships, if you're spending hours all the time in front of a computer screen taking in all sorts of filth and all sorts of debauchery. You can't. It will stain you. It will affect you. It will lead you to places you never thought. And it can be the smallest things. We have here, um, our church staff, we have this thing called Covenant Eyes. And on Covenant Eyes, um, phones, computers, all that kind of stuff, they do, it's like accountability stuff. And so for each person, someone else is like the accountability partner. And so for mine, uh, one of our elders gets a report whenever, you know, once a week. It says, yep, Jeff did great this week or whatever the case may be. And it's an imperfect system. You know how sometimes you can Google one thing and something else comes up. And especially when you're preaching, like you could be preaching on, for example, homosexuality. And that shows up as a big, like, red flag, Jeff was in bad places, or whatever the case may be. So, so it's an imperfect thing. But, but here's the funny thing. About a week or two ago, um, a flag came up for me and alerted that elder, say, hey, take a look at this. Jeff went to a website that, for whatever reason, rose our flag. You know what the website was? Foxnews.com. Do you know why? There's filth on Foxnews.com. And you can think... This is the moral, pure, conservative. This is the, this, we can go to this website and there's nothing there. But the littlest things, if we bring our faculties to bear on them, can lead us to places that are terrible. And there are, I have talked to men who struggle with pornography, who have gone to that website or a sports website or something totally innocent and have been then led astray into all sorts of things after that. Satan's, re- you guys know this, right? He's good at what he does. And and he's subtle, the scriptures tell us. And so Paul's saying, listen, I want you to be so rutted into the truth that you're not going to fall for that junk when it comes that way. I want you to be able to spot a lie from the truth. And I want you to understand what is holy and pure. And I want you to be unstained. And I don't want you to end up being led to the places that those kinds of things can eventually lead. Be holy, be pure. 
And then he says, whatever is lovely. That which is pleasing, gives pleasure or satisfaction, specifically even agreeable or promotes brotherly love. We're even talking about relationships right here. I can see tensions everywhere. I mean, like I said earlier, I used that example a few minutes ago. We can read into people's comments and we can dive towards friction or animosity or or all sorts of things really, really easy. But Paul is saying here, I want your mind to be focused on things that are agreeable. You're a minister of reconciliation, the scriptures say. I want you to be about those things. I want you to be so rooted and rutted into the gospel of Jesus Christ that when those opportunities come, that you're defaulting towards agreeable, peaceful reconciliation, not tension. I want you to be a man of grace, not a jerk. I want you to be someone who loves and and promotes loveliness even in others, not someone who's known for fighting and division and arrogancy. And that's a discipline. That's a discipline. And then he goes into, and this is where you can start to see that, that some of these things, they're almost repetitive as he's saying these sorts of things. He says, um, what is commendable, which means worthy of praise. Um, that is like um, things that build up, not things that tear down. And that, that can look all sorts of ways. I know for me years ago, um, I got to a point years ago where I stopped listening to talk radio. I mean, except for like sports radio. Because all it was telling me 24-7 was everything stinks, everything stinks. This is what's wrong with everything. It was just constant bad news that constantly like got me like all this kind of stuff. And, and I wasn't being built up at all. I was being filled with anxiety. I was becoming argumentative because I thought I knew it was right all the time. I was becoming divisive with those who disagreed with me maybe in different areas. And just got to a point where it was like, I just... I, I just can't handle that stuff. I know my own frailty and my own personality and I just know how I get worked up. So I'm just going to leave that stuff alone. That's not to say that you can't listen to things or can't take things in that are of that nature. But this is the deal. Bring all your faculties to bear on talk radio. No. All of our faculties are to be come to bear on the truth, that which encourages, that which builds us, build up on Jesus, on the gospel. Those are the things that are our focus. Our filter to look at and view the world around us is the gospel and Jesus Christ, not political views, not political parties, not nationalities, not sports teams. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the filter through which we see everything. And then he says, that which is excellent, of moral praise, it's of high virtue, things that are worthy of praise, that's things worthy of high commendation, things that we should point out, those are good, like that is good. Focus on those things. And then he says, think about these things. Bring all your faculties to bear on these things. Calculate, consider, ponder, chew on, meditate. This is where, though we look at things we might take in, you might read, you might hear about, we're coming back to these things. And Paul's saying, look, I'm trying to rut you in here. I want you to be grooved in towards the things of the kingdom of God. This isn't new to Paul. He says in Colossians, listen to this. He says, if you have been raised with Christ, which means if you're a Christian, can I get an amen? If you're a Christian, have you been raised with Christ? Then here's what he tells you. Seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not things on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Because you are a Christian, think differently. 
Your focus now is on him who saved you, him who is to come on a kingdom that we're living for that is not here yet, but we're working towards even now. We live for those promises. We will not get bogged down by the junk, the mire, the stuff here. He saved us from the miry clay, not so that we can go get stuck again. So he wants you to set your focus and your vision, be grooved in towards that because you're different now. That's why he says in in, uh, Romans 12, Paul says that we're to be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might, through testing, discern what is the will of God, what is acceptable and perfect. We think differently now, but you think differently because you've been rooted differently. You've been rutted into differently. The things coming in are different. The stuff you focus on is different. The stuff you chew on is different. And garbage in, garbage out. And so it would be really good for us all To just stop at some point and go, what am I allowing to dominate my ears, my eyes? What is it that I am allowing to come in, to take in all the time? Am I feeding the spirit or am I feeding the flesh? Because the Bible tells us that there's an old man that needs to be put to death now that we have been raised again in Jesus Christ. And sometimes we need to put the old man to death through starvation, We need to starve the old man from those things that he wants. And we need to instead feed the new man with the truths of Scripture, with these things that are part of the kingdom of God, with whatever is true, whatever is pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, and praiseworthy. That's what needs to dominate our thought processes. This is a discipline. But but he wants you to do it now. Because when the storm comes, a lot of times we can be so blindsided by the difficulties of life that we we don't even know where we are in that moment. And he's saying, I'm producing in you a nature, a habit, a tendency, almost like an autopilot that even when you're rocked, you're still going to be headed towards what God has for you because that's where peace is. And then when that storm comes, you won't be tempted to chase lies because you're under such pressure. But you'll trust, you'll obey, you'll follow. And that's what leads us to the next thing because he doesn't just stop there. Now, he goes into verse 9 to finish this thought, but I want you to think quickly about the context of this, okay? He's talking to these people who life's about to get hard. They are the minority. They're the weak in the world system at the time, by far. Their experience in Christianity is so different than ours. They're the minority, And they're about to be affected greatly by the powers that be, by powers outside of them and outside of their control. Be it the different worldviews that are out there, the different pagan religions, or the Roman government. Things are going to be hard. They are hard. They're about to get harder, and there's nothing they can do about it. They, They seem weak and powerless. They seem that way. We know the difference because of the Spirit of God. But that's how they're going to feel, okay? And he's like, with this coming... I'm going to teach you so that you're not buried by fear and anxiety. I want you to understand. I want to groove you in towards these things. And he does all of this on how to deal with the fear and anxiety through the framework of the sovereignty of God. Sovereignty means control, authority, that God is dominant and in dominion and powerful and over all things, that he is sovereign, that he knows all things, he can do all things, that God is in control. There is no authority, no power that could ever trump him. <laughs> funny word. Um, sorry. I don't know why that's funny. Sorry. No emails, please. But this is what he's doing, right? So this is what he's saying. He frames all of this 
under the, the, this umbrella of the sovereignty of God. So you, you only go back just a few verses in Romans, or excuse me, in Philippians 3.12, he says that Christ has made us his own. Christ made us his own, which means he owns. You understand? There's authority there. We are owned. We have been bought. Our life is not our own. It is Christ. Then he says in verse 20 that our citizenship is in heaven, that we're part of a different kingdom, and that kingdom is not waiting on the election results to find out who the king is. Who's the king? Jesus. Jesus Christ is the king. We are his subjects. That by default means we are under the authority of God. And then you continue on in verse 21. He says that Jesus subjects all things to himself. That he is of ultimate power and authority. And then in Philippians 4 verse 5, he says not only that, not only are we part of this kingdom owned by God under his authority, but the Lord is at hand. And that, that doesn't just mean like he'll be here soon. It means he's here. He's at hand. His presence is with us. So there is this king who is in charge. There's this authority in place. And so here's what he's saying. Hey, there's difficulty coming. There's persecution coming. Life might get hard, but don't forget, there is not a spot on earth in time, history, or geographic location where God is not. He's there. And I love how Matt Chandler puts it. Matt Chandler says that um, the, the idea is like the future is not just something God knows. The future is somewhere God is. That he knows what's going on. He understands all things. His authority stretches to all things. So if you get that phone call, the worst phone call imaginable, Jeff, you have cancer. Jeff, your such and such loved one has died. Whatever that phone call is to you that you can understand God's authority has not changed. God's power has not changed. God's plan has not changed. God's promises to do good things in your life in spite of those things has not changed. God's goodness towards you has not changed. God's love for you has not changed. So though the circumstances around us might seem like the worst storms imaginable, we are built on a solid foundation that does not move. So consider Jesus' own words, for example. In Matthew chapter 6, if you're thinking about things like fear and anxiety, Matthew chapter 6, he's doing the Sermon on the Mount. Famous, famous teaching that Jesus gave in the Sermon on the Mount. And the context leading up to the passage on fear and anxiety, consider what he says just for a moment. In verse 19 of Matthew 6, he says, Don't lay up for yourselves treasure on earth, verse 20, but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven. So what's he saying? It's along the same lines. Hey, be careful what you live for. Be careful what you're clinging to. Be careful where your focus is. Then he goes into verse 22. and says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. What's he saying there? Be careful what you consume. Be careful what you're focusing on. Be careful what, as Paul would say, you're bringing all your faculties to bear. It will affect your soul. It will affect what's going on internally. It will affect you. Then in verse 24, he says, no man can serve two masters. He will either love one or hate the other. Hey, be careful who you serve. And then what's the very next verse? Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, or about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Why are you anxious about clothing? 
Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They don't toil nor spin, and yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles, the world, seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Do you hear what he's saying in there? He's saying the same thing Paul is. Don't get distracted by fears and anxieties. Don't allow those things to rock you. You stay grooved in towards the kingdom of God and trust God is sovereign. God knows what you need. God provides. God provides food for the animals. They're not in line in front of you at Taco Bell. They, no one, they wouldn't go to Taco Bell anyway, but you know what I mean. Like He provides, and he's going to provide for you. But what he wants you to do, more important than clothing, more important than food, more important than any of those things, that we might be grooved and rutted in towards the kingdom of God. And that we might trust that he's got a plan and that he's taking care of us. So there's this this framework of the sovereignty of God. And here's why that's really important. There's two implications on that, and we'll be done. The first one is this. There's comfort in that, right? There's comfort in that. Like, I I don't know how this is going to work out. I don't know why this storm came that way. I don't know how I'm going to work out of it. I don't know how long it's going to take me to work out of it. I don't know if it's going to kill me here. But I know this. God is in control still. God is good still. God loves me still. God's promises are true in my life still. He still promises to do good things through this. He still promises to finish the work he started in me. And no matter what happens in my life or the end of it here, I'm still going to finish standing in heaven in front of Jesus and hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. That brings comfort. No matter what's going on around us, there's hope in that. The sovereignty of God brings comfort in spite of the storms going around. But here's the other thing that the sovereignty of God brings. It brings duty. It brings duty. Because he is the king. And he is the Lord. And so not only have we been given the truth to to bear down on, to bring all our faculties to bear on, we've been given it that we also might live it. And this is what he says in verse 9. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. Do these things, and the peace of God will come. That's, that's not just read it, not just know it, but do it. I know God's word for my marriage, then live it. Step out in faith, trusting that if you do these things, God's peace is going to come. I know what God's word says and how I should treat my friends or my crummy boss or whatever the case may be. Okay, then do it. Live it. Step these things out. Pray that the Holy Spirit gives you power now to be able to walk these things out because it's not just about knowing, but remember, our actions give testimony to our thoughts. And so the word of God is given to us that it might change us and that our lives might look different. He's changing us into the image of Jesus Christ. And this is what God is calling us to do. You know, I I went, and by the way, it's, it's not just that he's trying to control us because he's in charge. It's that he's telling us to do this because he knows it's for our good and for our joy. Remember that. 
He's giving you this to do, but he's giving it to you because it's what's good for you and it leads to peace and joy. Jesus even said when he showed the disciples about serving one another, washing their feet, what did he say? Happy are you if you do these things. But back in the context of fear and anxiety, you know, I, I knew this story growing up for so long. I learned it in church, and, and uh, I don't remember thinking about this one part of it, though I may just be being too hard on my, my old church, and my mom's here, so I'm trying to make sure I don't get in trouble. But when I grew up in, in the Baptist church back in North Carolina, one of the go-to Sunday school stories that we'd learn all the time is the wise man built his house upon the rock. You guys know that story, right? And the song? And the rains came down, the floods came up. So the story, in case you don't know it, is Jesus tells a parable and he says that there's this man and he built his house upon the rock. And the rains came down and the floods came up and the rains came down and the floods came up and the rains came down and the floods came up but the house on the rock stood firm. But then there was a foolish man and he built his house upon the sand. And the rains came down and the floods came up and the rains came down and the floods came up and the rains came down and the floods came up and the house on the stand Sand, excuse me, went flat. Love you, Sunday school volunteers. And so what's the moral of the story? We build our house upon the rock of Jesus Christ on these truths. Yes, but there's a nuance that Jesus speaks that we can't forget in that because he says in Matthew 7, 24, at the very beginning of that whole story, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. Mere knowledge is not enough. He's saying, I want you to be grooved into the kingdom of God. I want these things to become so habitual in you. You're going to hear these truths and you're going to live them. And when the storms come, you're not going to be rocked. Christianity is a thinking faith. Amen? It's also an active faith. We've been given these things that we might live them out. But what tends to happen is we tend to neglect the word of God, neglect prayer and thanksgiving in difficult times, definitely neglect doing the word of God, sit back, do none of these things, let our lives spin out of control and then blame God for it. And he's like, Jeff, dude, I wrote it down. And and I put you in community where you were taught these things. And, And I've been teaching you, Jeff, in your particular case, this for your entire life. Trust me, take a step, do it. And this is what God's called us to do. Here's what I love though. Um, Some of the translations say, what you have seen, learned, received, and heard in me, it says, practice these things. And I love that. You know why? None of this comes naturally, right? None of it comes naturally. It's gonna take some practice. It's gonna take some discipline. It's gonna take some effort. Christian bad word. But it's true. We are to strive towards godliness. That means effort. But it's spirit-empowered effort. And we go, okay, I'm, I'm going to start trying to do this. And I'm going to fail. But by God's grace, I'll get back up. I'll remember how forgiven I am. The gospel's going to come to bear. I'll apply it on that failure in that situation. And I'm going to try again. And I'm going to try again. And I'm going to try again. And the idea is you practice before the big game. And if we aren't rooted into the word of God doing these things now, then when the big storm comes, odds are you're not going to get at it right then. A lot of times your house is going to fall flat. A lot of times fear and anxiety is going to bury you. And Paul's saying, hey, trust me, I want you to have peace. I want you to have joy in spite of circumstances. But you root yourself in now. And you practice these things now. Because now 
the decisions we make now, the things we take in now, what we do now will determine who we are then. And that's when the storm comes. So what I want to do right now is give you an opportunity to do some work on your own with the Lord during this. We've got a few minutes left before we're done. Sam's going to close this in song, and here's what we're going to do. We're going to kill the lights. I want you to stay in your seat, bow your heads, and I want you to go before the Lord because I don't know your situation. I don't know your trial. I, you might not even know. You might be in like glory days right now, and you don't know what's coming down the road. So I want you to go to the Lord with your situation. I want you to go to the Lord with your set of circumstances and say, Lord, with this coming, whether I know about it or not, what am I allowing to influence my decisions and my thoughts? God, are there places in my life where I'm hearing lies and receiving lies? Are you in a season maybe where, where you've drifted away from the word? where maybe even the busyness and storms of life have just created a season for you where just getting up and getting to work on time maybe is the best that you can do. Then, But God can empower that to change. And he wants to lead you to peace. So the first thing you're going to do is with whatever situation is out there, you're going to go, Lord, who am I listening to? Will you reorient me? May I be rutted in towards your peace, standing on your word. And then second of all, in light of the truth that you want to speak into my situation, in light of the truth you want to speak into my life, in light of the truths you heard today, what do I do? Because I've been raised with Christ, how should my life look different tomorrow than the person who's not? And then you're going to pray this. Holy Spirit, help me. Remember, with fear and anxiety, Paul says we're to pray, and the type of prayer is supplication, which means what? Help. Help. This is not a place for, and I'm going to get through it because I'm going to be tough. No, this is a place for, I'm going to get through it because you're good, and because you will help me, because I'm crying out to you, and you are near the brokenhearted. You will hear my cries. You, he says it, doesn't he? The Lord is at hand, and he is sovereign. So ask, ask the Holy Spirit to empower you to live these things out, to, to defeat temptation, to defeat laziness, and to root yourself in towards, to rut yourself into the kingdom of God and allow that to be what all our faculties are brought to bear on. God, I pray that you would do work, that you would do heart surgery, that you would speak your, your truth, that you would grant us, Lord, conviction, but also hope that you would speak to people's lives. Lord, there may be people in here that are gonna pray right now that have never heard your voice before, but I pray that you would give them your peace and speak to them, God. I pray, God, you would change us, comfort us, encourage us, reorient us, that we might stand on your truth and walk in it as well. Be with us in this time. In Jesus' name, let's pray.